Okay, thanks for coming out. We're at Psalm 95. It was read for us. And today we're going to uh, answer five questions. And you should be able to follow right along with us in that. First of all, we're going to answer the question, what is worship? Got a pretty good answer right here to begin with. Second, we're going to ask, who or what do we worship? Third question is, how do we worship? Fourth question is, why do we worship? And then the last question is, what we must avoid in worship, okay? Those are the five questions. You know where I'm at on this journey that we're dealing with. So um, we get to, to look at it. Psalm 95 is our point of reference here. And the first thing that we want to talk about in this is, what is worship? Now, worship defined is simply this. Worship is an extravagant respect or an admiration for or a devotion to something or someone. Now, sometimes we restrict when we talk about worship. We say, well, of course, we're worshiping God, and that's what, we're, that's what it's all about. And if you notice, I left that specific reference out, not to God. Now, though those of us who are believers should be worshiping God, of course. But the fact of the matter is, every one of us worship. We worship all the time. Now, it may not be the right focus in worship, but we worship all the time. And, and I would say to you that if I spent time with you, unstructured time, it would not be long till I could tell you what you extravagantly respect, what your admiration is for, and what you're devoted to by simply listening to you. Because we will put our actions, we will put our resources, we will put our mindset towards those things that we consider to be utmost in our lives. So the fact is, all of us then do worship. And I could just stop and ask you, who or what do you worship? What is it that you th- focus on? What is it you think about? I'm trying to be much more intentional about that in my life. I hope you are. I, I, I don't want to um, practice um, a sloppiness to my spiritual life that is not zeroed in on God. Um, even as we worship together this morning, I love that. I try to do that on my own. I can, even uh, the last two nights when I was sitting out there. Beautiful nights, beautiful nights. Weather is so wonderful. Folks, this is summer. <laughs> if you're going to do a picnic, do it right away. I don't know how long it's going to last, but this is summer. We're here. And I loved it. It was still close to 70 degrees, 10 o'clock last night, and just sitting out and looking at all the stars. And I oftentimes will be out there. I'm out there alone, and I'll have music with me, but I love the, the richness of the time that I can spend with God focused in on Him. I like the darkness that is around me because I'm not distracted, and I like just being able to zero in and have communion with God and to celebrate Him. I'm actually worshiping God. I'm saying, God, you are extravagant. I am saying, God, you are remarkable. I am saying I'm devoted to you, and you're my point of focus, and I want you to be that in all of my life. 
what we're called really to do. So we've defined the first question is, what is worship? The second question is, who or what do we worship? Now, I've already told you that if I could spend time with you, I could determine that about you just by your conversation. And uh, it could be uh, family, it could be your wife, it could be your job, it could be your husband, it could be the fact that you are incredibly athletic or you are in, you're brilliant, it could be your house, it could be your car, it could be your dog, it could be your cat, that's hard stretch, but it could be your cat. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Yeah, I'm not a cat lover, so. <clears throat> Did you detect that? You know, sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to show my hand. But all of us put our directions. Now, in this psalm, now, and we're introducing this psalm, and there are six psalms that follow after this that are all psalms of worship. They're all directed to worship in that process. In this psalm, it's telling us how we're to go about worshiping and who we are to worship. And the, the amazing thing about this psalm, there's only 11 verses in it. How many times do you think God is referred to in these 11 verses? <laughs> 10 times? More. 15 times? More. 20? More. 24 times he's mentioned. Look at this. He said, oh, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Later on that same verse, the rock, his presence to him. And for the Lord is a great God, great king. And it goes on down talking about the mountains are his also. How, and uh, verse five, the sea is his and he has made it. He has made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand today. And then He talks about not uh, hardening your hearts, but down in verse, uh, verse 9, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work, verse 10, for 40 years, I loathed that generation. And then verse uh, further down in verse 10, and they did not know my ways. Therefore, I swore, I swore in my anger. I just noticed I didn't circle that one, my anger. So there's 25. That's a lot of references to God. And, you know, I'm not the, the sharpest pencil in the box. But I get, the pre I get the impression here that when we're talking about worship, the focus is about God, that we're really drawing focus upon Him. Now, we're going to see how to go about doing that, but the focus is upon Him. And may I say, just by the absence here, the focus is not upon you. And I could ask you the question at the end of a worship service, what did you think of the worship service? Well, honestly, Mike, the music was too loud, or it was too slow, or I like it when Tom prays, or I love it when he does it, or I like it when, ah, so the worship was all about you. 
Do you know how easy it is to default to self when it comes to worship shopping? shopping? This is, you know, we should just take a profile some Sunday, what everybody likes. Give it to the board of elders. Tell them, this is it, bud. What are you going to do for us? Are all of our nursery workers trained? Are they credentialed? have no idea what's going on in children's church. Are those people, do they have a degree in Christian education? That's what I'd like to see. You know, I'd like the lights a little brighter. I'd like them a little lower. I'd like them a little cooler. I'd like it a little warmer. I'd like it if Mike wore a better, different kind of shirt. Why did he wear blue today? And why does he have his shirt out? These are the things that really bother me. And he used to wear a tie. Why doesn't Mike wear a tie anymore? I will wear a tie again. Come to my funeral. <laughs> when, you see, when you see all of these things, you, that's because you're self-referencing. All right. But look at this when he says, and I'll, I'll get to it more specifically here uh, about the greatness of God. But, but notice when we come down here about, um, about worshiping God in terms of how we direct it. For the Lord, verse 3, for the Lord is a great God, we'll talk about that, and a great king above all gods. Now, that phrase that is used there, above all gods, that's not to imply that there are other gods that are legitimate. See what I'm saying by that? There are gods that we make up. There are things that we decide are going to be important to us. There are things that we will allow to be extravagant in our lives. There are things that we will be devoted to. We are uh, uh, relentless in our making of gods. We have that. In fact, uh, and there's about, uh, just so you can be comforted by this, there are about three references, major references that I'm going to turn to, and I want you to see that. So I'd really like for you to turn with me or tune in to your device there and make sure that's exactly what you're doing. But if you turn to Isaiah chapter we're going through Isaiah on Wednesday morning. It's a fun study. But if you turn to chapter um, 46 of Isaiah, are you with me? Oh, yeah. You're doing it. I really love, I have to just say, I, I love my app Bible on my iPhone. I love that. I, I use this all the time. What I love about my app on my phone is I can highlight it and things that I want to highlight. In fact, this passage, if I was really using my iPhone this morning, is highlighted in everything. All of the let us are there. All of the Bible is highlighted. I can do it in different colors. I can do it in pink and yellow and, and, and purple and uh, something else. And I like that. I can underline. I, do. I, I love the app. And I get there quickly. Sometimes we don't know where Isaiah is. Once we get there, we can find chapter 46, but it's hard to find it. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Now, he is speaking specifically to the Jewish people, but there's reference to us. And all the remnant of the house of Israel. So he's talking about all of Israel. You have been born by me from birth. That's God that is speaking here through the prophet Isaiah. And have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. I love that. I love that. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I, I don't know why he left out boldness there, but that's all right. Uh, 
I have done it. And I will carry you. And I will bear you. And I will deliver you. This is God that is speaking there, what he's going to do. And what he said he's going to do for Israel, we can come to the New Testament, we find the same thing regarding us. And then he asked in verse 5, to whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? What, what God could you fashion through your own efforts that would compare to me? And then he describes what they do. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They bow down, and indeed they worship it. They lift it up upon their shoulders and carry it. They set it in its, in its place, and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distresses. This is a testimony from God regarding all of your false gods. Now, I know we're talking about making an image here, and it is interesting to me that in the first two commandments, God says, you have no other gods before me. Why does he have to say that, first of all, in all the Ten Commandments? Because we have the propensity to put other gods before. And we fashion graven image. That's why he said the second one, don't do that. We do that. And I'm thinking that he's described exactly what people do with these gods, and it's pathetic. They have to carry it. They put it in its place, and it never moves. The God never talks to them, never helps them. It's a pathetic God. How about your God? I was in India, and I watched them. This was the time of the weekend that they were celebrating the elephant god. And I saw elephants being hauled all over the place in trucks and on wagons and everywhere. I saw many of those. And I was going to meet up with some Christians the same evening that these people were going to celebrate. And I loved it when I got there. I said, I want to tell you, I rejoice with you that you do not serve a God that you have to carry. You serve the God that carries you. Man, that was it. I got to say amen. Somebody did say amen. I love that. All right. And then he goes on in verse 8, remember this and be assured, recall it uh, to mind, you transgressors. Now he said, this is what you've done. When you fake other gods for yourself, you're wrong. Remember the former things long past, for I am the Lord. You take history and look at it and see where I've been there. And there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me declare, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that have not been done, Stay, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And then he said something in verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persians. Cyrus had not been born yet. This is being written 150 years before Cyrus was born. What God is doing is, is that I'm declaring who I am. I am the only true God. And he has challenged them, and we can look at other places here in Isaiah. He's challenged them. All right, I'll be God, and I'll tell you what's going to happen 150 years now. What can you do? They can't do that. I love what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I, don't want, don't, I, I, I want to remind you of the things that happened into Asia Minor. We were tested beyond our life, beyond our strength. The sins of death was in us. 
in order that we would learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. What does your God do? My God raises the dead. And it's like a one-upsmanship that's going on there. And we all do that at times. We boast about what we can do. And we hear men sitting around in, in the locker room and they say, well, I was in high school and I was this and I ran this touchdown and I could do this. And oh man, you're great. And then, then somebody always says, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you what I did. And then I did this and I did, oh, that's nothing. It goes on and on like that because we're trying to establish our deity. God says, okay, Paul, I'll play the game with you. I raise the dead. It's your turn. <laughs> Can't say anything. All right, let's go on here. So, uh, if I go back to my passage here, then I, in, in Psalm 95, the question is, who or what do we worship? And we will either worship the uh, self-existing, sovereign, all-powerful, almighty God, or we will, with our best efforts, fashion a God that is powerless and useless. In fact, it is impossible for you to make a God any bigger than yourself. So whatever it is that you make is inferior to you. I don't want a God that's inferior to me. I don't want a dumb God that can't speak. I don't want a powerless God that can't move. I don't want God to look at me and say, do you, you know, when in a time of confusion, do you have any ideas? No, I don't, God. I'm coming to you because you are the one who is almighty God. All right. Who or what do we worship? You can worship false gods. They will fail you. Mark it down. They will fail you. Or you can serve the one true God. So then it comes in there. If we then understand, and we do understand how we came into a redemptive relationship with God, God and His great mercy and grace, the Lamb of God, we sang about it, that takes away the sins of the world this morning. He made provision for you to have a relationship with Him. I couldn't do that. He did that for me. That he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is our God. And now I've been brought into a relationship with him, and I should worship him. If for no other reason, I should worship him because of the redemption. We'll get to that in a moment. How do we worship is my third question. Some of you are so encouraged. You're thinking, man, he's on question number three already. We're, we're going to Scream out of here this morning. Point five is long. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. How do we worship? Now, I, I love this. He tells us in verse one. Now, it's an invitation. Come. It's not only the only time he says it. He says it again down in verse uh, six. He says it again in verse two. Come, let us. So, uh, worship is something that we listen to that says this is uh, an invitation from God. And so much so that he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. There is something that takes place when we come into the fellowship of one another. And so we, we understand then worship is, and when it says, let us, and he says that five times, verse one, let us. He says it again, let us, let us. So that is something that we do together. Worship as defined by this psalm doesn't mean that, again, last night when I was out, I wasn't worshiping, but he's talking about how we as a 
fellowship worship, how we as a country worship, and we worship by coming together. It's something we do together. And what he specifically wants us to do is he wants us to sing. And for those who can't sing, he wants you to shout joyfully. It just says that right here. Look at that. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. This is a raucous event. This is not a a solemn uh, funeral dirge. We're celebrating God. We'll see that in a minute. That's my next point. But this is a time of great jubilation and celebration. The the word actually is used even in the context of a great gathering like a, a sporting event in which your team is finally winning. And you, you know, you don't sit there. Hey, you, you make a fool of yourself. You jump up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, listen, we're going to do that when we play Denver. First game of the football season. <laughs> See, you're already there. You're there. <laughs> you get excited about that, but let's get excited about it. That's what he says. It's, it's a raucous event. You know, this is not a stained glass solemn motion where you fold your hands like that and speak in different terms. Oh, God. Oh, God, I love you. What a great day you've given to us. What a joyous thing it is to be with. I love singing with you guys this morning. That's why I love the acapella-ness that we did this morning. I could hear you guys. It's like you're really wanting to sing, and you're singing unto the Lord. So singing is a vital part. Now, let me think about this. I can read my Bible by myself. I can even preach by myself. I can't, and I can sing by myself. But the one thing that we can do together in an expedient fashion is we can sing. These are songs that were to be sung even as they were going up to the temple. We can sing together. It is the most vital part of the corporate thing that we do in a worship service. It is celebrate through song or shouting, God. Now, he tells us the spirit in which we do that is to be done with joy and thanksgiving. He mentions both of those things here. Do you notice that? He says, sing with joy to the Lord, shout joyfully to the rock. Uh, Verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us shout joyfully to him. Twice we sing, twice we shout. All oh, the things I could have you do now. <laughs> have you not ever been in a service where God is in focus in such a way that you can just barely contain yourself? <laughs> I mean, everything within you is, is asking for dignity, but you just can't, can't do it. You just have to. This will age me here a little bit, but I am. I'm old. So, but um, I went to a Gaither concert over in in, um, in Tacoma, the Tacoma Dome. Somebody gave me front, my wife and I, front row seats. Woo-wee. And I I was singing and clapping and jumping up and. You would have been embarrassed to call me your pastor <laughs> because I was overwhelmed with the celebration of my God. All right? 
How do we worship? We come together. It's a, it, it is a, it's an ex- expectation that you don't come out of duty. You come out of joy and thanksgiving and delight with an eagerness to be with your brothers and sisters to sing and shout. Let me just say this again, because I think the closest thing we do along these lines is, is sporting events. And I've, I've been on to some sporting events. I've been over to the Seahawks games. And I want to tell you something. There's something wrong with those fans. I, I watch those people get on the ferry. I listen to them shouting out. And I keep thinking, I wonder if any of these guys are neurosurgeons. I wonder if anything these girls are psychologists, you know, because they're, they, they're painted up and, and why? Because they love their team and they're not ashamed of it. They don't care what you think of them. What do you think of my team? That's what they're saying. Now, I want you to know, what do you think of my God? What do you think of my God? <laughs> I served in the military for four years, and not quite four, but, and there was a systems analyst that was there. I worked in the computer department there, and there was a systems analyst, and she was an older lady, and she, was, she very seldom communicated with anyone, but she, she, watched, she watched me for three and a half years. And I was ready to leave the Air Force and go on to more schooling. And she said, can I say something to you? I said, sure. I mean, she'd really never (laughs) talked to me. I wasn't really sure I could understand her. She's a systems analyst. I mean, you know, I I push buttons and she figures stuff out. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I don't know what it is you have. But I know it gives a lot of joy to you. And a lot of happiness. I said, oh, God, thank you that I communicated to this unbelieving lady that my God is an awesome God. Amen? Amen. What do people think of the God? Well, we've hit that point enough. All right, let's go to the next point. Number four. Why do we worship? What, in other words, the question could be, what motivates us to worship? What drives us to worship? What compels us to worship? And he answers that. And he says, if I look at this, he says, uh, verse 3, we uh, celebrate God. And verse 3 starts out, for the Lord is a great God and a great king. One of the reasons I celebrate God is because he's great. Now you think of how great he is in terms of the redemption that he's brought to us, in terms of, you know, and, and, and I don't think my, I'm not drawing reference to myself here in terms of my body uniquely, but when I think of that, he created this thing that I've been running around in, this little thin bag called my skin for almost 77 years. He made that. And even before I was born, he put a ticker in there that's been pumping ever since then. I've been breathing air since I was born, and I, and I don't even take thought of that. And, it, you know, when I think of all of this, I'm thinking, oh, God, you're great. You're amazing. You know, I, I think when I cut my finger, I, and I can sometimes look at that, and I might put a bandage on it, but there are things that are going on in my body without me giving any direction that are immediately going in to patch the hole in the bag I live in. It just does that. That's God's creation. 
Let me just go with you. Second major reference I'm going to look at. Go back to me with Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Right here. Chapter 40. I should have just held, you, held your place there. But here we go. He says in verse 1, Comfort, comfort all my people, says your God. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Now to speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out her and her warfare has ended. The iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand, has received of the Lord's hand double of all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Get ready for God. That's what he's saying here. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. In other words, level the playing field, all the rugged terrain and broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. God is showing up, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice said, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all the uh, loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. This is not a human thing that we're celebrating. This is God. And look what he says here in verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. What is the good news? God. Lift up your voice mightily. Old Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up, do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Now that's celebration, here is your God. Now he says, in case you don't know why you ought to celebrate him, can I just give you a few of those things? Verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him, Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend. He has power. He has compassion in his arms. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ones, pastoral care. And then he goes on. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I love that. I've shared with you before, and I don't do this, but... We used to have thermometers, and um, in the thermometers was mercury, you know? Don't play with mercury. That's not good. But I did. And I'm still here. I'm 77, so maybe you should play with it. No. <laughs> I'm 77, and I used to get mercury. And I would roll that around in my hand. It is a roll around. That little silver ball just stay right together. Just roll around, roll around. And when I was done playing, I'd just toss it out. God is saying, I got all the waters of the world, figuratively speaking, in my hand. I just roll them around. All, all the waters of the world. He just rolls them around. And then I come up and interrupt him. Excuse me, God. Yes. I, I can't find a job. I don't know if you can do anything about that. You need a job? That's nothing. I can do that. See, that's the God. No, he's not done here. There's more. He just rolls the water around. I just love that expression. And marked off the heavens by, a, by the span. That's from the thumb to the finger. That's the list there. And uh, calculated the dust of the earth by a measure. How much dust is out there? And weighed the mountains in a balance. And the hills in a pair of scales. 
Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or is his counselor uh, has informed him? With whom did he consult with, uh, or who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the paths of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the, the nations are like a, drop, uh, uh, like a drop from a bucket. We get all worried about what's going on on the horizon, this nation and that nation. And he says, they're just like a drop compared to me and my power and what I can do and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up of the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon, he goes on down. To whom, verse 18, to whom will you liken God? What likeness will you compare with him? As for idols, uh, as for the idol, the craftsman cast it. Now he's now saying, this is who I am, special that I am. And what do you do? You make it God. You fashion it for yourself. And I love this when he goes on down to the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read it all, but he says, Uh, Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, And vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. God gives me new power. He gives me a new perspective. He gives me new perseverance. This is what my God is. So when I come back then to the passage here and you say, why do we worship One, because God is so spectacular. He's so amazing. He's so extravagant. He's beyond comparison. That's why we do that. But then he goes on down and he says, he's also the creator of all. And I, and I love that. You see that in verse uh, 4 and 5. He's the creator of all. He made the mountain peaks. He made uh, the earth. He made the sea and all this. In it. I, I look at it this way. I just thought of this this week. All of the creation is God's playground for us to play in. Now, you think about that. All of creation is the playground that God made for us to play in so that we can discover who He is and how great He is. And we're doing that. We, we're, you know, I, I love asking questions we don't have the answers to, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I, we do somewhat. But, you know, it was only in, in the 50s, 1950s, that we broke the DNA code. And we're still discovering stuff about it. I mean, the DNA code, you know, uh, that uh, protons. And we, we discovered that in 1800s, I think it was, 1880 or 1870. We just discovered that. We're constantly discovering things that are absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. And he says, celebrate that. And so uh, what you need to do is when you're out there, and I know people, there's two things that happens here. Some people go out there and they worship nature. That's not what he's talking about here. You, are, you worship the creator who made that. I mean, you get up on top of a vista like I did on Friday, going up to Deer Park, hiking up there, and I just made myself a little cushion bed there with a little pillow, and I was looking out over the uh, mountains there, and I was thinking, God, you made that for me right now, just so I could enjoy it. And I did. I just lying back there looking at that and enjoying that. You know, we saw some um, rhododendrons that were blooming. God, you did that. 
God, all of this is what you've created for me to run out around in and discover how great you are. Ever looked at creation as a playground for discovery? Don't quit learning. Please stay learning. All right. My last point. I want to come back here to one point here. It says, you know, with joy and thanksgiving, I'm going to bring in a current event that here is taking place. You know, one thing that I'm really thankful for, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for the fact that God said He would never leave me nor forsake me. I'm thankful that He said, I'll always be with you, that all of His promises are true, that He's prepared a place for me. I'm thankful for that. But I'm thankful this week that they reverse Roe versus Wade. That's what I'm thankful for. Amen. Amen. You know? That's my God. That's my God. We're made in the image of God, and we respect all life from the point of conception into my... I love that. I've been praying for that. I love that. And God did that, and uh, amen. All right, I could say more, but I'm going to go on here. But my last point, what must we do, what must, must we avoid in worship? Up to this point in this psalm, we've been talking to each other. We've been saying things to each other. Let us come together. Let us worship. Let us, let us shout with joy. Let us give thanks. Let us do all of this. Let's see how, God, how great God is. Let's look at His creation. Let's do this. Let's bow down. Let's understand that He's given us, and that's what we find in verse 6 and 7. He's given us redemption. He's the one that He is our maker, He says. He is our God. We, he's made us His people. I became part of the family of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. He pastures us. He cares for us. These are the reasons I respond to God as such. But then, in the last part of the psalm, right in verse 7, from all of this jubilant celebration, God redirects the focus, and He said, i got to talk to you. And it is now God who is speaking. We're not speaking to each other. God speaks to us. And here it says in verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in Meribah and in the day of of Massa in the wilderness. When the fathers tested me and tried me, though they, uh, had, uh, though they had seen my work. Now, really what it's talking about, what must we avoid in worship? We must avoid disobedience, period. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what God says. It's very simply stated. Jesus said that. So, obedience is part of that. Now, when he talks about what happened in the wilderness here, how these people tested God. So, I went back and I was doing a little research on that. In the 14th chapter of Exodus, and you can look at this. They're lengthy passages. I haven't time to do it this morning, but they're lengthy passages. But the one thing is, they had been set free. The Israelites had been set free from Egypt. Now they were up against the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was pursuing, and there was no way to escape. They were going to die. They were going to die if something didn't happen. Well, you know what happened. God made a way for them right through that Red Sea and opened it up for them to go through. I just wonder. And so when they got to the other side, They were happy. They were happy. It says right here in in chapter 15 then. It says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The horse and the the rider has been hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him, my Father God. I will extol Him. The Lord is the warrior. The Lord is His name. 
The chariots have been wiped out. It goes on down. Your right hand, O God, is, 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 has majestic power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. God, God, God. They're, they're, if you can see my Bible now, you see it. Circle, 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 circle. They were worshiping God, celebrating Him. That's the 15th chapter. The latter part of the 15th chapter, beginning verse 22, they were, crumb, they were grumbling. God, this water's not very good. It's kind of bitter. Kind of bitter. Three days after being delivered from the enemy, from the miraculous hand of God, they were complaining because the water was a little bitter. You can read that in verse 22 to 27 in that chapter. In the 16th chapter, they're out now about several weeks, they're fussing because they don't have anything to eat. God gives them, by the way, he uh, cut a tree and brought water there for them to have, and it was sweetened under his direction. And then the next one, he brings manna and he brings meat to them, and they eat. This is three weeks into it. And then we get just a little further and uh, to the 17th chapter, and they're out there, and they're saying, oh, God doesn't care. He's brought us out here to die, and he doesn't care about what we're doing and everything, so forth. And, and so Moses goes to God. God says, go out there, strike the rock, and I'll bring water out of that rock. And he does. But God never forgot their grumbling. He never forgot they're testing him. Now, I want you to note back in the psalm here what he says very clearly. He says, I was upset with them because they tried me, though, verse 9, though they had seen my work. You mean to tell me after the ten plagues, you mean to tell me after the deliverance that I gave to you, remember after going through the Red Sea on dry land, seeing the enemy destroyed, and even if I take current events, making water come out of a rock, even when I brought the sweet into the water that needed to be there, and I brought manna, what, what are you thinking about? And I'll tell you exactly what they're thinking about. They're totally horizontal. They've lost sight of God. And I don't have to speculate on that because he tells me that, verse, 45, verse 10. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. I was angry with them. And they said they, uh, and said that they are a people who err in their heart. So in their heart, they have a wrong perspective and they do not know my ways. They're not even being exposed to the truth that could inform their heart that would allow them to make right decision. They are only horizontally driven. And they've lost sight of God. And he said, therefore, I swore in my wrath, verse 11, they shall not enter into my rest. You say, what does that mean? That means those people never got to go into the promised land. You mean they weren't saved? No, it doesn't say that. They didn't get to enjoy what God had promised them in the promised land. All of the beauty, the land that flows with milk and honey, all that the the spies had brought back to say, this is what is available there. They didn't get to enjoy that. Now get the point here. If I am disobedient to the word of God, it doesn't mean I lose my salvation. It doesn't mean that I'm no longer a child. It simply means this. Because of my disobedience, what am I missing of the beauty of God? What am I missing from the bountiful provision of God because I'm pig-headed and stupid? Uh, see, stupid is not a word. Uh, foolish. What is worship? For us, it is an extravagant respect, an admiration for, and a devotion to God. Who is the one that I worship? God Himself. How do I worship? Songs, prayer, shout of joy, focus. Why do I worship? 
because he's worthy of that. He is special. And what do I avoid is not being, I can't be disobedient. Lord, what a great gift you've given to us to worship. (laughs) And with a pure heart and open spirit, we can just engage with you. Maybe we need to be tested right now. Maybe we need to be asked the question from you, Lord, uh, why do you have these gods before me? Why do you spend so much time here? Why do you neglect me? And we need to answer that, Lord. And we need to realign our priorities. We need to listen to your word. We need to listen to your voice. We need to listen to your way. And when we do that, help us without shame celebrate you boldly. And to say, even as Isaiah said, get on top of the mountain and shout out what God is great like our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.